Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Robin. And welcome to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. Before we get started with the interview with Ophira Yeskel, make sure you follow us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also love hearing from you, so feel free to send a message to flyonthewall at georgetown.edu. Ophira Yeskel is the current Deputy Communications Director at the DNC, overseeing its political messaging strategy for campaigns across the country, from the local to the national levels. Prior to the DNC, Ophira worked in a variety of communication roles on campaign trails across the country, including Beto O'Rourke's presidential campaign, Ralph Northam for Virginia, and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in Wisconsin. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation with Ophira. All right, Ophira, thank you so much for joining us at Fly on the Wall today. Thanks for having me. All right, so our first question is just looking at your really impressive resume. Your communications experience has brought you to campaigns across the country, <clears throat> from working for Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill to Virginia Governor Northam to better work in Texas. So how do you approach messaging in all these different places geographically? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think um, what drives me every day and right now at the DNC is actually is figuring that out, too. Like, how do we localize our broad message to like fit and reach people where they are in their like local markets and so I think you know I've been fortunate to work for some really great messengers like the folks you listed off who like all bring their own voice and personality to how they talk about issues Um, and so that's really defined I think some of the strategy but I think you know as Democrats we have a lot of good things to talk about too and just trying to figure out what's the local angle like if you in Texas for example when I worked in 2015 for a state representative all the time we're talking about Medicaid expansion and how like that would benefit the people of Texas. Um, But like in Missouri, agricultural issues were really big for Senator McCaskill. So always just trying to figure out how we could reach people on like the work she was doing to benefit them. So I think trying to figure out how do you reach people with the message they want to hear on like how you're making progress for them is, is probably like the one plus one equals two for me. Yeah, for sure. And just piggybacking off of that, you know what, we're just curious what like kind of messaging stays the same in all these areas and what, What's different and how do you learn what messages work in different electoral areas? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is uh, an experiment, right? Like you're trying things on, seeing what reacts to people and what doesn't. I think like as Democrats, we have a really great message that's even coming through in um, the midterms as we're getting up for that, that like Democrats fight for people or fighting for you and your families and want to make progress for you. And then you can get as detailed as you want and run down the list of what that means, like passing health care, um, making sure that we're lowering costs for people. Um, any of the number of things that President Biden's listed out to build a better America. So I think I think we're very fortunate to have that like through line that's pretty constant. But I think, you know, like any communications exercise, you're like adjusting to the moment, trying to figure out where there's any opportunity to kind of jump in and and piece in your message too. And one thing that's super interesting about your background is your work with Southern Southern Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so and up until recently, the American South has been more leaning towards like the GOP, like the GOP has a stronghold there. So how do you go about creating a political message that's competitive in that region? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Texan born and raised. So to me, like Texas and the South is always going to be part of my heart. Um 
as our chair, Jamie Harrison says, there's no such thing as a red state. There's just a state that needs time and resources. And I think, you know, at the DNC, we've been very fortunate to have him be in our leadership as somebody who like led a red state um, state party. Um, and so I think, you know, with enough time and energy, Georgia is the perfect example of this, right, of a state where people were doing the really you know, tough work of organizing their communities and getting people out to vote and getting them registered, but also just like getting a message out there about why the stakes of the election were were so high and why like Joe Biden and Democrats in Georgia would make a difference in your lives. And like maybe that felt impossible in 2020 that we would have two Democratic, amazing Democratic senators, John Ossoff and, and Raphael Warnock um, leading the state. But um, I think I think that's a great demonstration with enough time, enough energy, enough resources, we can probably turn any state into a democratic one. And going along with that, like, in, do you feel like in these states that are red, um, do you focus more attention on swing voters or like getting voters out to vote or like getting people out to vote? It's probably a mix. Like, I think any campaign, you figure out like, who are you folks? You want to get to fifty plus one, right? Who are the folks that you know turn out for you every time? Who are those folks who are on the margins that are like a little bit more open-minded? And then, you know, you probably try to reach out, frankly, to everybody as broadly as you can. But I think you've got to kind of figure out what that winning coalition is every single time. Um, I think that's why it's so great to be in the Democratic Party, because we are literally a big tent, right? We, we welcome people in. We're always trying to reach people with like the message that I talked about earlier. So, um yeah, I think I think state by state, like you can probably figure out a mix of, of all the right folks who will respond to a message and, and get out there and make you successful. Yeah, for sure. And so looking at your career, you've spent, you know, gone state by state on the campaign trail. <laughs> and, you know, how does that compare to your current position at the DNC today? I, I think it's been like really great preparation. Like I'm an evangelist for doing campaigns, honestly. I, I think um, there's no better way to get, I think... A really, a really great like set of experience and a short, compact amount of time than a campaign. I think like um, they're such great exercises. Like they're kind of startups in a way that we like set up really fast. They have one goal and one mission, and then they've got an end date, and we all kind of like disperse. So I think um, the difference for me now at the DNC is like my work's a lot longer term, um, and so I've actually been there since uh, February, and so like it's I've come up on a year. Um, and really like looking forward to having having kind of the the two year window and so on to kind of maybe do some more long term work because I think I think campaigns are obviously cyclical, they have an end date. Um, but I think they're so valuable in that way too of like they're really great places to try things out. The margin for error is probably like a little bit um, smaller on a statewide race than say like a national one. Um, but I think they're great little like laboratories for like figuring out what works too. Anna, what was it like knowing when you were working on the campaign and you were constantly on the move, what was that like to be on the move and like every few months moving to a different place, surrounded by different people, different environment, and how did that compare to now, like being more, like having your job in D.C.? Yeah, I mean, it's really, I think it's exciting, like, if you would have told me that I would have lived in El Paso, right, for a couple of months, like, at any point in my life, like, I'm from Texas, and Texas is a very big state, but that was an amazing place I got to, li like, live and, like, really be embraced by a whole community that was obviously very supportive of, of Beto. Um, Wisconsin would have never thought that I'd live in Wisconsin not once, but twice. Um, amazing state as well. And so I, I think, like, if you're a person who 
just has a sense of adventure like I like I feel like it's such an exciting way to like see the country to get to know like groups of people who you maybe didn't grow like expand your boundaries and learn a community and learn like what they care about and the issues and I think that that makes you like as a person gives you a stronger perspective not just as a person but also as an operative right like there are so many folks who I think maybe get you're maybe doing you become an expert maybe in one state I think it's like really cool that I've been able to kind of dip my toe in a bunch of different places and I think like it's made me a lot more well-rounded as an operative and so I think that serves me now really well at the DNC where like every day my mission statement is trying to figure out like in every state how can we reach as many people as possible in a way that's gonna like be impactful to them and meaningful to them um I think just having that well-rounded perspective really like serves me well yeah for sure so um you we've all mentioned this a few times in the questions but we wanted to zoom in on your um current position as deputy communications director for the DNC so how does messaging for a national political party differ from that of a political campaign? And have you observed any regional differences or challenges in the DNC for messaging across regions as like a national um, organization? Yeah, I think it's um, I think the scale of what we do is obviously so much bigger than than what I'm used to doing. Right. Um, and I think very fortunate to have a really great team of folks who focus um, on the work that we're doing in the states. Um, my state's director, Brooke, is wonderful, and she has a great, strong team of regionals who all have, like, amazing experience in the states as well. So I think the combo of all those great people really helps us kind of figure out what are the opportunities across the board, whereas, like, maybe in the campaigns I've done before, you maybe have, like, a couple of media markets that you're honing in on and become, like, an expert in who are all the reporters there, what are the opportunities, like, what's in the news, um, but I feel like being at the at the DNC, we're, we're playing across, a, obviously, a larger map. Um, and I think that's exciting, too, just the scale of what we get to do every day. And so I think that's maybe the, the piece that I find, like, an interesting challenge, like a challenge not in a difficult way, but a challenge that you want to take on, like a great opportunity. Um, because trying to reach as many people as possible where they are is is a is the challenge I think of, of our time right now because the information landscape is just so so divided everyone gets like their information and their news from so many different places and um I think it's an interesting interesting challenge for all of us as to how do we how do we get to the to everyone we can with with our message and it also feels like there nowadays there's so much division between the two parties as well as like in the Democratic Party and so how do you make a message work an overall message that works in liberal states like New York and California but while appealing as well to more conservative states like Georgia and Texas that's a great question I think um, something we're driving right now is is the contrast right like trying to make the choice clear for for people in the midterms about what does it mean if if Democrats or if Republicans are able to take a majority and they're kind of already like unwittingly laying out an agenda that I think is not helpful to them, right? They're talking about um, Rick Scott, who's the chair of the NRSC. He's talking about raising taxes on half the country. Right now, I don't think that's what people are looking for. He, uh, Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, he's talking about repealing the Affordable Care Act. And everyone, I think, thought we were past that. But like slowly but surely, they're letting the American people know like voting for them would mean that they want to raise your taxes, they want to repeal your health care, 
Um, and then Rick Scott's also talked about rooting for inflation, that he thinks it's a goldmine for people. I think like on the other side of the coin, Democrats, just yesterday, the president laid out a budget talking about, you know, the values of his budget, which are to be fiscally responsible, um, to create safety and security for everyone, both here and abroad, and I think to lower everyday costs. And I think that's something that's top of mind for everybody, right, is like, how do we lower your health care costs, including like prescription drugs? Um, how do we just make progress on all of the issues that, that you care about? And I think every step of the way, like Democrats are trying to make progress. Like we've made historic progress since the president took office on, you know, I could list any number of things, but the American Rescue Plan comes to mind for me of like this amazing piece of legislation that led to a historic economic recovery, historic job growth. We're going to see like, I think he's on track for the largest one year deficit reduction of any president. All that's possible from the American Rescue Plan, and not a single Republican made that happen. So I think I think we have a really great like contrast message to paint here in the midterms, and I think that's the that's the thing we're focused on, right? Is like you got to set up the choice, and I think there's a really clear one. Yeah, for sure. And your answer um, is a great segue to our next question, which is that oh, great. As you said, <laughs> the midterms are right around the corner. Um, so I'm sure it's a busy time for you. So what should Democrats be talking about and focusing on in 2022? I think exactly what I said. Like, we're we're driving, I think, at a message that gets at, you know, what folks are thinking about. We want to lower your everyday costs, and we want to build a better America. And so I think, you know, uh, the president yesterday also talked about, like, a billionaire minimum income tax, which will make sure that the wealthiest people in this country pay their fair share in taxes, all while not while making sure that people who make under four hundred thousand dollars a year don't pay an extra penny, and that money will like pay for, um, will just make sure that we're continuing the progress we've seen, but also mean like investments in in things like um, expanded healthcare access for people, continue the progress we've seen from the rescue plan, um, continue the progress from the infrastructure bill that we just passed. So I think um, there's a there's a really great story to tell about just like what the president's leadership has meant, um, what Democrats in control has meant for people. And I think um, as we're continuing that historic progress, making progress on the unity agenda that the president laid out, too, I think there's a bunch of things he laid out in the State of the Union that should make sense for everybody to work on. Right. Like ending the opioid epidemic, ending cancer as we know it. Um, expanding mental, mental health care access. Um, I could go down the list. I'm sure you don't need the long list. But um, yeah, I, I think we've, we've got a really solid message that speaks to speaks to what people are thinking about every day when they're like at their kitchen tables and having dinner or doing whatever they do. Definitely. And looking now specifically, like reflecting back on your own career, what insights into American politics have you gained over the course of your career? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, I think just that you've like, you've got to try everything. Like, I think there's no one way of doing things, I think is the one lesson. Like, I think anytime somebody says that's the way we've always done things, I don't think that's a compelling argument for anything. Um, and I think like, as, as we're moving through like cycle after cycle, it's like imperative on us to think through what are the most, what are the creative ways we can get to people that maybe we haven't tried before. And like, I think try it. There's always trial and error. Um, but I think it's exciting to have, you know, new new opportunities to kind of channel a message. Um, for example, something I'm really excited about that we have is TikTok now. The DNC's on TikTok. We're the first party that has TikTok. The RNC does not have TikTok. Um, and I think that that's a cool place that we're like trying out to like reach 
reach not just young people, but a lot of different people who are on TikTok. And um, I think we've already had like some pretty great success with it. Like we had a viral one the other day, which is really exciting to me. So like, I think, you know, there's all kinds of things you can try it, see if it works. Um, but not being afraid to experiment, I think is probably my, my biggest lesson. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, coming up in less than an hour is the Women in Politics networking event, which we're so excited about. So what advice do you plan on giving the attendees and aspiring women in politics here at Georgetown? Oh, wow. That's a really good question, too. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been thinking about this today because I uh, had a conversation similar to this earlier. And um, there's this quote that the vice president has said before, which is like, I eat no for breakfast. And that's really resonating with me this week of just like um, not not letting anybody kind of douse the possibilities that you have for yourself like I don't think anyone is going to dream bigger dreams than the one you dream for yourself um and just not letting anyone's like limited limitations that they might place on you like bog you down so I I think like I know for breakfast is a good one um the other thing I would say is like ask for things ask people for help because they want to give it to you and they want to be like invested in your success and I have been able to I think have as many like exciting opportunities as I have because I've had people who were invested in my, in my success at every stage of what I've ever been doing, who've been able to turn to for advice or just a lead on like what I could be doing or a campaign that was like starting up. Um, and I think it's so, so important that you have people who are like just invested in you, who you can turn to at any, any time and be like, is this the right thing for me? Does it make sense? Am I thinking about this the right way? You can bounce a lot of ideas off of and, um, I fully believe that's that's important. That's why I'm so excited to go to the event today and meet so many of you because I, I fully believe in like paying it forward and making sure that people feel that I'm invested in, in what they want to do too. And given that politics has been has long been a white male space, what is it like being a woman of color in politics? Does this affect your approach to your role as a communications professional? I think so. I think, um, you know, it's being being a woman of color in this space I think there's you feel like maybe a responsibility to make sure that the door is open for others um to quote the vice president again you can be the first of many things but make sure you're not the last and I fully take that to heart that um we should be thinking through at every turn like how can we make sure there's a pipeline of women a, a door that's like laid open for them so that I'm not the the last like woman of color deputy communications director of the DNC would love to be one of many right and to make sure that that we've got um women of color represented in in kind of crafting the strategy executing the strategy of how we reach people and operate as a party I think it makes us stronger too as an organization as a party as a as a whole um, and any team that has like a bunch of different voices, a bunch of different experiences and added perspectives all together at a table is, is going to, I think, execute a much stronger strategy. Um, so that's something that I, I think about probably at every role that I can of just like, how can I leave the door open for more women, women, uh, women of color to, to follow behind? Yeah, definitely. And so um, we now want to touch upon, you know, how you look for the next opportunity. So Given your decorated career in a lot of competitive races and areas, do you have any advice for young political professionals that are looking for the next step, especially after their political candidate might lose the election? Do a campaign. I cannot <laughs> tell you enough. Do a campaign. Um, I I fully believe that like campaigns, like I said, are just like such a great microcosm and like experiment for you to learn. You're gonna soak up so much in such a short amount of time. And I think just by nature of like 
people not having the time to think about the fact that they're handing something off to you, you're going to get like so much more responsibility and experience. And once I know, especially for somebody junior, that I can hand you something, I can hand you the football, you're going to run the play, I don't even got to look twice, I'm going to give you more stuff to do. And that's why I think campaigns are, are so great. Um, and so for me, like I've never hesitated to jump from one to the other just because I think they're like such a great way for you to move up in this space. Um, and I think especially like this, this cycle is a really exciting one too, right? There's so many great opportunities. Um, I'm a little partial to, to governor's races, <laughs> as you can probably tell from my resume. Um, but I think there's like any number of great like opportunities for people to kind of get their hands in there, mix it up, learn a lot. And I think even, even when you lose, you probably learn a lot more than, than when you win. Um, and there's so much more that you can carry forward from, from a loss that you can apply, you know. And so when you do win, you're like, wow, learn that from this thing. It was so applicable to the situation. I think it all kind of adds up to you being a stronger and stronger operative. So do a campaign. That's my, <laughs> my plug. And what makes you stick around in politics? What makes you love your job and get up every day and get excited to go to work? Yeah, I think just the the thought and the knowledge that like we are making a difference in people's lives like um when I worked in the Virginia governor's office and I think about this still it's one of the the things I'm like the most proud to be a part of we worked on expanding Medicaid there and now there are I think something something like probably over 500,000 Virginians who have health care that didn't have it before and to me, that just speaks to, like, the impact of, of what we can do and the difference we can make in people's lives by electing, like, Democrats, right, is we can make huge progress on on the issues that, that impact them in their daily lives. And so I think that, for me, is, like, the thing that kind of gets me up in the morning and excited to, like, elect good people. And, and I think that's why I'm excited to be at the DNC right now is because we're not just, like, tasked with electing the president obviously or even just like congressional um majorities making sure that that happens like we're we're working to elect democrats from school board to senate and so i think that that piece of it is also cool just like how can we get as many good good folks like running for office who are gonna do just that like make a difference in in someone's life so that kind of animates me to get out of bed every morning no it's a great answer so um that closes our substantive questions and we're excited <laughs> now to move into our lightning round um so this is a fly in the wall tradition where we ask short questions and you can provide a short uh -oh. answer. So, <laughs> um, and they're also a little more casual so Love our it. first question is if you could have one superpower what would it be oh that's a really good question uh man I just was watching the Avengers last night. I wish I had a better answer than this. Um, <laughs> maybe like super speed or to fly. Yeah. Just so I could get places like faster. Yeah, especially in DC. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Totally. I'd love to fly. Um, and our last question comes from Kelvin, one of our Fly in the Wall co-hosts who is from Texas. And he wanted to know what your favorite thing is that's only in Texas. Breakfast tacos. Guys, I miss those so much. You cannot find a decent breakfast taco in DC. And I really... Or if you have recommendations, I guess, comment and let me know where I should go. But breakfast tacos, I miss wholeheartedly. Yeah, I'd love to know good breakfast taco places in D.C. myself as well. Um, so that closes out our interview um, with you, Asira. Thank you so much for joining us again at Flying the Wall. This was such an illuminating conversation. Thanks have. for having me, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Make sure you follow us on social media at flyonthewallpod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. As always, you can email us at flyonthewall at georgetown.edu. See you next week.